Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. You might have noticed as we read through those three verses, you almost could just take one of the verses and it covers. There's a lot of repetition coming to us in these first uh, three verses here of Genesis chapter 2. But this morning we're continuing our trek through the book of Genesis. This is, we've been spent, spent five weeks in the first chapter, which We could have spent a lot more, but we just tried to pick big picture worldview ideas out of Genesis chapter 1. And now we're going to start working kind of more through the narrative of Genesis. We're going to spend three weeks here in Genesis chapter 2. And then following Easter, we'll get into some of the more narrative sections. And we will pick up the pace. So we won't just be stuck uh, five weeks, six weeks in every chapter of Genesis for the rest of our lives. That is not the plan. But this morning, uh, the narrative is going to pick up a little bit after this. But this morning, we are in these first three verses. And the reason why we wanted to kind of stop here is, you'll look here at verse 4, which says, These are the generations. And you'll notice, if you read through the book of Genesis, this is a repeated phrase that Moses uses in the book of Genesis. There are 11 times that he uses this phrase, these are the generations of, toledot is the Hebrew, and I'm sure I said that wrong, but that is the phrase there, these are the generations of, and there you can read through your Bible, read through the book of Genesis, and you'll see 11 times that this is spoken of. So so this is, verses 1 through 3, are kind of the end of this creation moment. And then then Moses begins to pick up the narrative, begins to pick up with these divisions of these are the generations of. And so it's worth stopping and thinking about these three verses, the the ending. I said a few weeks ago, we were talking about the image bearers. We're we're making much of the Imago Dei, made in the image of God, and, and mankind really being the pinnacle of God's creation. But verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2 is not the pinnacle of his creation, but it's kind of the pinnacle of the creation event that God ascends or God rests from his labor. So there are some unique things to notice here in this text. And first you would notice that this doesn't start off like the other days where every other day begins and God said and he creates something and God said let fish multiply let the waters separate God said and God said this day does not begin that way there is no creative work being done here secondly is this repeated statement of the seventh day we see three times 
the seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. I was so proud of my little girl. I had my, my computer out and was working on this, and she come up and was looking over my shoulder, and she recognized the pattern. You know how sometimes when the typeset gets just right in a, something you're reading, it was seventh day, seventh day, seventh day. She's like, she noticed, I'm like, that's good observation skills. All right? They repeated seventh day, seventh day, seventh day. Yeah, that's, that's only done here. Every other day of creation, it's like, and he wraps all this up, saw it was good, morning and evening, the whatever day of creation. But here is this repeated seventh day. Thirdly, God doesn't work on this day. Instead, he blesses it and calls it holy. This is a distinct day from the other days. And, and fourthly, there is no morning or evening highlighting that this day of rest has a, a, a bigger purpose than the other days of creation. There's something, uh, there's like echoes of eternity almost in the seventh day. There's no eternity, there's no morning, no evening. It's just God ceases from his work as he rests on the seventh day. No morning, no evening. And, and it, it, it shades, if you will, of an eternal rest that God enters into. And there's so much we could, we could talk about this, you know, taking one Sunday to talk about the seventh day, talk about Sabbath and this. It's a huge theme throughout the rest of Scripture. But just by way of passing by, really, we can talk about how this is typological language of, of God and His temple, that, that really the whole earth in one sense is, an, at, the, at the initial state of creation, is God's temple, that this is where He finishes this work of creation, he rests, and then the world is filled with his sort of creative presence. He rests, he goes to worship. We see that mirrored in Moses in the tabernacle. So if you want to, you can go and research this later, but in Exodus 40, it says this specific phrase, Moses finished the work of building the tabernacle that God had prescribed for him. Moses finished the work, Exodus 40, verse 33. That same, the work is finished, and then what happens next? The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle, right? And we know that the, the Israelites moved around as the pillar of fire came down or, the, or removed itself. They knew to be traveled around because Moses finished the work and God filled the temple. We could also look at Solomon, which is kind of the high point of, of Israel's history, you could argue, that um, David doesn't get to build a temple, right? Even though we say he's the greatest king. But, but the people of Israel, they've entered their rest, right? They've had the exodus. They've come out. They've wandered around. Joshua, they've come into the, come into the promised land. They've had the, the judges. They've had their kings. Now Solomon, they've entered into their rest, and Solomon builds a temple for God. And he completes this work, Solomon prays, and what happens? God descends upon the temple, and he rests there in the temple. So there's all this symbolizing of this day of rest throughout all of Scripture. Obviously, we look at Exodus 20, the giving of the Ten Commandments, and the fourth commandment is honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And that, now, Sabbath day is not used here in Genesis 2, but the, that, that word rest, sabbat, uh, is transliterated later on into Sabbath. And so the principle is there. But, you know, we could talk about the Ten Commandments. The Jews were strictly commanded to recognize Saturday as their day of worship, the seventh day of your week. I mean, it, there, it's, 
I didn't have this in my notes, but it is fascinating to talk about why we arranged the world in seven days, the globe all over. Like it is, and there have been experiments in like um, a socialist France and whatever, where they tried to go to a 10 day work week. They, it was a mess. They, they tried, they, they tried to, they, they've done experiments with trying to, to, to adjust the days of the week and it just, they, they haven't had any success. We are in this seventh day. But so the Jews would recognize the seventh day, the last day, Saturday, as their Sabbath day and they were commanded to keep it holy. All of these really point to, if we're going to do a little bit of more biblical theology, you go on through the New Testament all the way to the end of the book of Revelation and it's pointing forward to an eternal day of rest. There is the, that, that's, that's plant seed is right there in day seven, that at the final day, God, after the day of the Lord and Jesus returns in all of his glory and he establishes a new heavens and a new earth, we all will dwell with him in eternal rest. Though no creative work is going to be done, it will be God in all of his glory. Revelation 21 and 22, God's people will be with him, free from all suffering and striving. And all of this and much more flows out of this groundwork laid down on this day of rest that God takes. That was me in an effort to fly through like kind of a whole overarching narrative of this consistent theme of God and his, and his rest and the people entering into his rest. So what is really going on here though? God's been working six days, has made all this stuff, and he takes a day of rest. Is God tired? I think it's actually a decent question. It's like, that sounds like a lot of work to me. I mean, you know, I, I, I physically work hard, but I don't do stuff like this, and I kind of like to take a time, some time off. Is God just tired? No, this is not just God's cosmic uh, work break. You know, like he gets two tins and a half hour lunch break or something like that. No, this isn't just God's cosmic work break. Um, we, re, we, we, we know, we, we not, we, in fact, not only is this not his work break, we ought not to think that God is totally done working because of this day of rest. This is the end of his creative work. And, and we know that this is not the end of all of his work because as, as uh, Philip Evison says in his commentary in Genesis, he says there's no uh, conflict between Genesis 2 and John 5, 17, where Jesus says, uh, he answers them, my father is working until now, and, 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 and now I am working, that Jesus speaks of a continued working of God. <laughs> so it isn't that God is all of a sudden just, you know, like the deist, he set it all in order and he's done working. No, God continues to work, but what's happening here? Is he, there is a cessation, a, a ceasing from his creative work. The rest that God is establishing is a rest that is grounded in the satisfaction of his finished work. So my big idea for this morning, I'm trying to get it here out front so that if you, if, if you lose track of where we are in the midst of this, the big idea this morning is that our rest comes primarily not from a stopping of our work, but from a satisfaction in the work that has been done. Our, our satisfaction, our, our rest comes primarily not from a stopping of our work, but from satisfaction in the work that has been done. Now, Darren, where do you get that idea? Why, why do you say that's the big idea of this passage? Well, look back at chapter one. So we're in, we're in chapter two, verses one through three. And, and if you've been observing as you're reading along in chapter one, 
we talked about it at our Wednesday night group, says, and it was good, right? God does all this creative work, and he says, and it was good. And then he does the next day, does all this creative work, and he says, and it was good. More creative work, and he says it was good. Well, then here in verse 31, at the end of the sixth day, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was, and this is a big deal, it was very good. Right? This is the one time that it doesn't just say everything was good, but it says it was very good. There's something unique in God's description of his work. Everything has been good up to this point, but now things are very good. God does not rest because he is tired. He takes this day of rest because he is satisfied with what he has done. That's an important distinction. He does not rest because he's tired. He rests because he is satisfied in what he has done. He has done what he has done in his creative work is very good, and so he rests. G.K. Beale says in his book on the temple and the people of God, he says that God's rest, both at the conclusion of Genesis 1 and 2, and then later in Israel's temple, indicates not mere inactivity, but that he had demonstrated his sovereignty over the forces of chaos or the enemies of Israel later on in the temple. And he has now assumed a position of kingly rest, further revealing his sovereign power. God, as the sovereign creator of the universe, assumes his position of rest, making the seventh day holy. He sets it apart for the receiving of his worship because what he has done is very good and he is satisfied in the work that has been done. Sabbath rest is not a ceasing from work. It is a satisfaction in the work that has been completed. You get the distinction there? It is not just a ceasing from the work. It is a satisfaction, a rest, an exhale, a completion, a satisfaction in the work that has been done. So, I wanted to stop here, though. Jim and I were talking through how to go through this, and we wanted to stop here and focus on this day of rest for a reason. And as we've discussed, we know from the rest of Scripture that this day of rest is a laying down is laying down a pattern for the people of God in their future. God is going to mandate for His people a distinct day of rest from their labors. Command the in the fourth commandment. And while that's not repeated again in the New Testament as a, as a commandment, we do see the people of God gathering on what's called the Lord's Day, Sunday. We, we switch the day from Saturday to Sunday. That's why we don't meet on Saturdays. That's why we're not Sabbath. We don't have Saturday Sabbath. We meet on Sundays because of the resurrection of our Lord. The, the people of God have, throughout its history, taken time on the Lord's Day to gather together and worship their Savior together. This has been baked into just who we are as a people. So why do we need the Sabbath? Well, for one, it's, it's just in creation. Like we can, we'll, we'll get to talking about post-fall reality of why we need rest. But don't think that rest is just like some necessary evil. It's actually built into who you are as an image bearer, built into the creation itself. That God in his sovereign wisdom sets up a day of rest. There is something fundamental in our status as creatures 
that even before the fall, there was to be an established holy day of rest from our labor. But now post-fall, after the fall, which is in a few more weeks, Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, we realize the importance of the Sabbath even more. What we value in our culture today is really is busyness. If you go around and talk with people, one of the things I always say, I mean, we had our advisory team meeting just this Thursday, and one of, how, how are things going? Well, busy. I mean, it's like, it's like a refrain we always say, well, I'm really, I'm really terribly busy. I, you know, I've got a lot of things going on. I'm very busy. And why, why do we say that? Well, I, I, I mean, we are busy. But I think there also is this justification of our existence because we're so busy doing things. There is a, there is a sense of proving ourselves because we are so busy. We have this constant need to prove ourselves and somehow we think that busyness validates our existence. If I, have, if I am tied up with a lot of things, if I am very busy, that means my life matters because I'm doing stuff. It doesn't matter if the stuff is silly. Even if you're failing at life, if you're busy doing it, it feels more like success. <laughs> Because you're, 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 you're killing it. You're, 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 I mean, you're, you're failing, but hey, I'm, I'm really doing a lot while I'm, while I'm ruining my life. It, it, even if we're doing it, doing poorly, if we are busy doing it, somehow it seems to make it better. And now you've got to do some of your own heart work here, but I think much of our busyness also reveals our rebellion against our creatureliness. That we are not God. We do not set the world spinning. We are not the sovereign lords of the universe that makes everything happen. He is the sovereign lord of the universe. He is the creator. We are just his creatures. And some of that busyness, and again, search your own hearts, but some of my own busyness, I know, reveals this, this depravity that still is residual in my own heart that tries to, to, to and is rebellion against him as creator and trying to elevate myself out of just my creatureliness. We functionally operate our lives as though it is all up to us. Christians, I mean, we're almost some of the worst at this sometimes as we live almost as functional atheists that we all sit here and confess a belief in Jesus. We, want it, we sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me, and yet we walk out the doors so much of the time and are convinced that really it's up to us. We, we are practical, functional atheists in so much of our lives. We, we operate as though it is all up to us. Our sinful self-reliance demands that we must keep up. We must prove our existence. We must prove that we matter. And so we will overload our schedules. We'll do everything we can to try to justify who I am and my reason for being here. So we, we better measure up so we get busy. What is just as bad is that we put that expectation then on the people around us. Uh, you know, we, our youth culture, we, we cram our children with so many things to do. We fill up their schedules with so much stuff. We train our children at a very young age. Probably the reason why a lot of us as adults live this way is we were trained to think that every free minute must be leveraged for maximum productivity because you've got to show and earn and prove that you are, wor that you are worthy, that you mean something. 
And so we, we, we've pushed that off. We've trained our kids that convincing them that this is making them better to fill their days with absolute nothing but activity and work and busyness. As though the making of ourselves better, quote unquote better, is the ultimate goal of life. The ultimate goal of life is just to maximize my potential as though that is anywhere found in scripture that the main goal of your life is just to be 100% productive. Or is it to glorify God? That's a, that's a good question to ask. So hear this creation principle that is baked in the very core of who we are as embodied souls. You need rest. You need rest. Now, I... It's interesting because we simultaneously complain about our busyness and then complain about how restless we are and, and, but, and not connecting the two, that, that this thing that's killing us is the, is the thing that we still pursue. Um, but but you, need, you need rest. Now, there are just practical, logical, surface-level practices to employ here. And just I mean, you could get super practical about just the reality that we are we are embodied souls, we have a physical body, and part of the reality of our need for Sabbath and rest is to stop working, is to take time off, just at a very basic level, like to, to schedule time that is not objective-focused, like to schedule time or to, to have a moment of your day, of your life, where you're not trying to accomplish something, where you do something maybe you just want to do with no purpose, with no certain goal. Time where you intentionally just do what you want to do. Take a nap, pick up a book, play an instrument, watch birds. Sorry, that's for me. Look at clouds, whatever, whatever it may be. There are many different ways we ought to protect our lives with a regular rhythm of rest. And I, I throw that in there because I, do, I don't want to just, we're going we're gonna to go on into something deeper than just protecting your life with certain parameters on your physical self. But, I don't, but it's not less than that. It's more than that, but it isn't less, less than that, protecting your physical life. But, and it, because also that rhythm of rest ought to include a time of worship. Right? As I mentioned, historically, the Christian church has gathered for worship on a combined day of Sabbath, the Lord's Day. Now, this wasn't a specific mandate coming down to us on high. We have the passage in Hebrews which says, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. But it wasn't mandated as some sort of law that we must abide by. Rather, I think it seems more likely that it was put there because the community needed to protect this time as a group. To come together and say, hey, we're taking Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, we're taking this day off together to focus our thoughts to worship our God. And it's a protection for the community to remember that together we are in on this, that we need to rest from our labors and set our sights upon our God. So that rhythm of rest also included a time of worship. It's far too easy to fill our lives with things that we think will help fill our desire for purpose and meanings. So that brings us then to our final consideration. Why was worship such an important part of the Sabbath? And why is worship such an important part of your rest? Worship is such a crucial part of our Sabbath because a surface Sabbath is never enough. Sabbath, a rest at a physical external level, never is never enough. 
you, you, you may take the time off, you may set aside the time, you may do all of these things. I'm sure you've all experienced this. You ever look forward to like take a couple of days off of work and just do nothing? And then you get to the end of those two days of work and you're like, I don't feel any better. Like what in the world, what's up with that? Just a surface rest, a surface Sabbath is not enough. There is a deeper rest that must be known in order for any embodied rest to do any good. So many find rest ultimately unsatisfying because we aren't really sure we're okay. We must feel guilty for rest. We almost feel like we're wasting our time because we're coming from a place of still wrestling with, have I done enough? Do I deserve this rest? Should I take time off? Should I be, should, what I, I'm, I, we find it unsatisfying because we aren't really sure that we're okay. There's a deep restlessness that no amount of scheduled rest can truly shake. I know you've experienced this for your own life. If you do not do the inner work of Sabbath, I'm going to use it, that language, no amount of outer Sabbath will s- suffice. If, if you do not have the internal rest, you, you, no amount of external rest will ultimately work. Sabbath, back to our beginning point, Sabbath, the big idea, Sabbath is not just a stopping of work. It is satisfaction in the work that has been done. So turn with me to Hebrews 4. Um, Jim referenced this just at the end of this of. His singing there, entering into the rest of God. We'll just look at verses 9 and 10. The whole section starting there in the middle of chapter 3 on through verse chapter 4 is all about this Sabbath rest. But you look at Hebrews chapter 4 starting in verse 9. The writer of Hebrews speaking of Jesus, he says, And for the people of God, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. There is a rest in God. There is a rest in God. There is an eternal, internal rest that if we are not internally resting in Christ, no amount of external Sabbath, no amount of external rest will end in satisfaction. There is, this. we could read this whole passage, but there is, for the people of God, a yet future eternal rest where Christ will return. The day of the Lord, that God will pour out his judgment upon the unbelieving world and, and, and all who are his will be gathered to him in the new heavens and new earth where we will dwell with him forever, the light of his presence and the joy of his presence forever. There is a future coming rest. And yet... There is a present rest. We live in this interesting time. We call it the already and the not yet. We have, with the not yet, there's an eternal rest that is not quite yet, but it is a rest that is already and not yet. There is a present rest that is resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Sabbath, again, is not stopping the work. It is resting in the work that has been done. And primarily, as believers in Christ, that finished work that we ought to rest in is the rest that Jesus Christ has purchased for us in his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus, we can look at the cross and you can look at him writhing there on the cross and 
you see a real restlessness almost with Jesus. Talk about the garden and the restlessness and, and all of that wrestle that he's going through. What's going on there? Well, I think in a very real way, that restlessness that we feel as a result of myriads of sinful proclivities and all things we could go down the list of is laid upon Christ upon the cross. He suffers our restlessness in a very real way so that everyone confessing their sinfulness, confessing their restlessness, confessing their rebellion to try to make themselves God instead of letting him be God, that rebellion, confessing that and looking to him are forgiven and made righteous in his sight. Like 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, right? God made him who knew no sin, who knew no restlessness, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you do not know the rest that is found in Christ, no amount of circumstantial rest will suffice. True Sabbath rest is only found when you rest your life in the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. You can read Luke chapter 6, a couple of interesting stories where Jesus, they violate the Sabbath and he talks about that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. True Sabbath rest is only found when you rest your life in the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. Not only that, resting your life in his hands, but also resting your life in his care for you. We talk about the, the not yet. So I, I rest in, in, in this promised future, but also there is a present rest in his care for your life. I don't know exactly what all of you are going through in this room this morning. We could go around the, and have all sorts of stories of hardships and difficulties and discouragements and, and, and joys. But I, I do know what I and my family have, have gone through and are going through. And I know that when we were sitting on the, the sixth floor of the hospital, Methodist Hospital, waiting for surgery results of how advanced is, is this cancer, uh, no amount of external rest is going to do us any good at that point. I had all the time off in the world. I had all kinds of sick leave. I wasn't working. I was just sitting in a hospital. That's ceasing from work. No amount of ceasing from work is going to bring rest if you do not have the in internal rest in not only God's future for you, but his care for you in this very moment. That whatever he's bringing your way right now, is not outside of his control. It might be for discipline. We don't, I don't, not going to discern that. It might be just for your sanctification that you would trust him more and more and more and more and lean upon him and look not to yourself but to Christ. I don't know what it's, what his purpose is specifically, but I know that it is not beyond his control. We'd go sit upstairs for chemo and that you go to the oncology floor. There's not a more depressing place than that. Than, and just a, a tragic thing to go sit around all these people struggling to make it through life. And no amount of external Sabbath is going to matter. In those moments, you don't need lists of things to get busy with. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know, okay, here's here, got to work to get some sort of satisfaction, some sort of approval. You, you're, you have no way to do that. What you need in those moments, you need the burden-lifting exhale of trusting the work that has been done. That I can just exhale and trust Him and, and experience and true eternal Sabbath in Jesus Christ. More than just a ceasing of labor, but a resting in a finished, completed work. 
You need to rest in his love for you, seen so clearly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why worship is such a major component in Sabbath. It's a time of remembering. (laughs) We're going to celebrate communion here in a few minutes, which is specifically a time of remembering the finished work of our Savior. You guys know who Eric Little Little is? L-I-D-D-E-L-L. He's a famous famous to me as a, as a missionary in China, but he's more famous as a runner in the movie Chariots of Fire, which is a, a, a chariot, you all probably, can we sing the song together? Around the beach, it's a very, very memorable, that's probably the most memorable moment for people. But he, he was actually a, a missionary in China when the Japanese invasion was going on there in the 40s. It's an incredible story. I commend his biography to you. But most famously there at the Olympics, he's an Olympic runner, very fast. Uh, his, his specialty was the 100-meter dash. But tryouts for, um, for or semifinals or whatever, the heats, were run on Sunday. And he had a conviction he wasn't going to run on Sunday. And we could talk about what that all that means. But so he abstained from running his race, the 100, at the Olympics. And instead he ran the 400. And he, he did win the 400. He did quite well. But uh, he, he, his, his, he's famous sort of for this abstaining from running. Another man who's featured in the movie Chariots of Fire, but another runner at the same time, a true character, true, true real person, Harold Abrahams. Uh, he was a competitor of Little's in the 200-meter dash, all right? So for him, when they ask this Abrahams, why does he run? What, 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 for what purpose do you run? What, 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 why do you do this? And this Abrahams, he, he, this is what he says in the movie. He's quoted as saying this. He says, I will raise my eyes. As he's on that starting block. He's got life ahead of him. He's got the whatever. It's a metaphor for life. But he's got this lane ahead of him. As he sits there in the blocks, he says, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. Four feet 10 seconds to prove that all of my effort was worth something. Working, 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 always striving for something. Abraham's was busy proving himself. He had to race to justify his whole existence. But little refrains from these semifinals. And we can talk about the conviction not to race on Sunday and what's all meant to, we could say much of that. But the famous quote from Eric Little, why he does what he does, he says, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. When I run, and he did run like famously, kind of like if you see videos of him, he's got his arms back, his head, he kind of runs crazy. But he, he says, I feel the pleasure of God. He ran from a place of not proving something. He ran from a place of pleasure, from a place of trusting. And he gives up what would have likely been another gold medal at the Olympics for, for a conviction, but he had nothing to prove. He was settled in who he was in the sight of his Father in heaven. He was settled in the work of Christ for him. And he could give up Olympic gold medals, (laughs) resting in who Christ was for him and who God was for him in Christ. There was a rest in all that God was for him, and it relieved him of the pressure to perform. Where are we resting Are we out trying with all of our might to prove our existence? Are we fretting over all that we are missing out on or all that we might leave undone? Or are we resting in the love of the Father shown to us by the giving of His Son? And are we resting in His good purposes for us that will never fail? 
There is no effort you can undertake that will merit more for you than the merits of Christ. There is no effort you can undertake that will earn more for you than the merits that are found by faith in Jesus Christ and his work for you. There are no super plans. There are no, uh, pl- no surer plans than the ones laid down by the creator of the universe. He looked at his work, he was satisfied, and he rested. And so we too ought to look at his work in creation, sure, but centrally at his work upon the cross, be satisfied in it for us, and rest. Let's pray. God, as we head into a time of remembrance together, I pray that you would do, as, we, as each one of us examines our hearts, as the scripture commands us to do as we approach communion, as we examine our own hearts, God, may we despair of seeking to earn our merits, earn our existence, earn our affirmation, work, 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 exhausting ourselves and never achieving Father, may we with open hands this morning rest not in our performance for you, but in Christ's good work for us. May we find real Sabbath rest, not just a ceasing from a work, but a rejoicing and a satisfaction in the work that has been done for us through your Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.